Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on the Revolution Broadcasting Radio Network. Today is Tuesday, September 28, 2010. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website is whatonearthishappening.com. The network's website is revolutionbroadcasting.com. We have a great show lined up for you here this evening. We're going to be talking with documentary filmmaker James Yeager, the filmmaker who made Fiat Empire, Original Intent, Corporate Fascism, and Cultural Marxism, among other great films. We'll be talking with James about some of the projects that he has coming up. We'll be getting into the Federal Reserve System with him. That'll be coming up very soon. What I'm going to do is quickly read the event announcements, and then I'm going to give the call-in numbers for the show, and then we'll bring James right in and get started. So, I have only two event announcements for the listening audience this evening, two events coming up in the Philadelphia area that I'd like listeners to know about. The first is the monthly documentary screenings and discussions at the Ethical Society building. The Ethical Society is at 1906 South Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. These events are hosted monthly by the great activist group Truth, Freedom, Prosperity here in Philadelphia. This month, Monday, I'm sorry, next month, Monday, October 18th, Monday, October 18th, Truth, Freedom, Prosperity will be screening the documentary For Liberty. For Liberty is a film about the Ron Paul revolution back in 2008, about his campaign and the um, groundbreaking tactics that were used during the Ron Paul campaign to get the message of individual freedom and sound money and a non-interventionist foreign policy out to the public. So... The documentary is called For Liberty, 
That's coming up Monday, October 18th at the Ethical Society Building, 1906 South Rittenhouse Square. The documentaries start at about 7 p.m., and then they are followed by an interactive discussion with the audience on the film. So get there early. Parking can be tough around there, but um, uh, it'll start around 7, and they, they, they go, run until about 9, 9.30, depending on how the discussions go. So that's the first event announcement. For more info on this activist group, visit their website at www.truthfreedomprosperity.org. That's truthfreedomprosperity.org. The second and final event announcement I have for this evening is a conference which I myself will be co-hosting. This is going to be called Free Your Mind a conference on consciousness, mind control, and the occult, a unique two-day conference scheduled for April 9th and 10th, 2011, in Philadelphia, PA, featuring multiple speakers and diverse educational materials for the purpose of raising public awareness of the critically important topics of mass mind control techniques, the covert and subversive influences upon consciousness and behavior, trauma-based and ritualized abuse, and the practical mental and emotional healing methodologies available for those affected by these devices. The dates are Saturday, April 9th, and Sunday, April 10th, 2011. The time is 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. both days, Doors will open at 9 a.m. both days. To attend is only $20 per person per day. This will be happening in the Northern Liberty section of Philadelphia at Ruba Hall, R-U-B-A, Ruba Hall, at 414 Green Street, Philadelphia, PA, 19123. Confirmed speakers to date, Aaron McCollum, Alfred Weber, Andrew Basiago, Farah Yurdozu, Jay Parker, Larkin Rose, Laura Eisenhower, myself, Mark Passio, Michael Kelly, Suzanne Taylor, and just added to the, uh, to the roster of speakers today, John Nicholson from ccrg.info, Mr. John Nicholson, who will be talking about satanic ritual abuse. So we just added an 11th speaker to the bill. We will be announcing more speakers as the, the uh, weeks go on. We'll probably round out at about 15 or 16 speakers or so. So check out more information about this great conference coming up in Philadelphia, probably the biggest of its kind on the East Coast, April 9th and 10th, 2011. Free your mind. Please visit www.freeyourmindconference.com for more information. All right, that's all the event announcements. And now here is the call-in number for this show. Feel free to call in. There are no taboo topics here. We are going to have a guest. So tonight I would please ask the listening audience if you would keep the questions geared to the guest if you want to call in for tonight. Uh, Usually we have a wide-open discussion 
but um, we're going to be talking about uh, specific things with James Yeager tonight, so please keep the, uh, the questions geared for Mr. Yeager uh, when you call in this evening. Okay, the call-in number is 724-444-7444. Once again, the call-in number, 724-444-7444. When you call in, you have to punch in the call ID number for this show. The call ID number is 83515. Once again, the call ID number for what on earth is happening is 8. So, let's jump right in with our guest for this evening. James Yeager is an award-winning documentary filmmaker with over 25 years of experience in writing, directing, and editing films. After graduating from the Haverford School and the Cinema Institute, James majored in sociology at the University of Pennsylvania and graduated summa cum laude in his filmmaking class of 1978 at Los Angeles City College. James holds a management degree from Celebrity Center in Hollywood and has written and published five books on motion picture production and operations. He has also written 12 screenplays, of which four have been produced and one is currently in production. James was a pioneer in broadcast in broadband distribution of motion pictures over the internet and was one of the founders of payperview.com. James has worked on about a dozen feature films in numerous capacities over the course of 11 years. In late 1981, James founded Matrix Productions and began producing TV commercials, public service announcements, and live events. In 2007, Matrix Productions produced Fiat Empire, featuring Representative Ron Paul and Dr. Edwin Vieira. This documentary about the Federal Reserve System garnered a Telly Award and became the top documentary on the Internet for six months. James has continued developing documentaries such as Original Intent, featuring G. Edward Griffin, Ted Bear, Edwin Vieira, Ron Paul, and Pat Buchanan. His newest documentary offerings are Cultural Marxism and Corporate Fascism, which respectively highlight the left-wing and right-wing erosion of American values and the principles of freedom upon which America was founded. James is currently developing Tesla, a full-length movie based on the life story of Nikola Tesla. James Yeager's website can be found at www.mecfilms.com. Once again, that's www.mecfilms.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What on Earth is Happening, Mr. James Yeager. James, thank you for being here with us this evening. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So... You've been a documentary filmmaker for many years, and you've put out some of the most information-packed and critical political documentaries of our time, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Why don't you talk a little bit uh, about how you got involved in filmmaking and some of the the, uh, great documentary films that you've produced? 
Well, my primary interest in film is narrative drama as far as features. I moved out to California in 77 to pursue uh, features, but I've always had an interest in documentaries. It dawned on me when I was young. I was fortunate to know I wanted to be in film from an early age. I think I started making films around 1963. And it dawned on me that, gee, if you're going to make movies, uh, maybe someone might watch them someday. And golly, if, if, you're, if people are watching them, maybe you should have something to say, especially if you're going to make a documentary. So this, this thought took completely horrified me and made me realize that well, I better stick to narrative drama and spend, you know, at least 10, 20, 30 years studying life and figuring out what the, what the hell is happening. <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of the title of your show there, Mark. Sure. So I, I, I moved to Hollywood. I started working in the industry there. I, I held a lot of different posts, uh, worked on a lot of features in different capacities as a uh, set carpenter, grip, uh, editor, and so on. And meanwhile, I, I kind of picked up an interest in banking somewhere along the line. I, I guess you, you know the old saying when, uh, when bankers uh, meet for dinner, get together for dinner, they talk about art, right? And when artists get together, they talk about banking <laughs> or money. So I guess I guess as a, as a young artist, I became interested in banking and trying to figure out why in an infinite universe you look out there at night and just, just matter and energy everywhere. How come there just seems to be so much scarcity and starving and, and hopelessness on this planet? And it just got me wondering, you know, what is money? Where does it come from? You know, and, and who are these people called bankers? What, what do they do? So triggered by a book called The Creature from Jekyll Island somewhere in the early 90s, which was written by G. Edward Griffin, I began to, to see a light, and Mr. Griffin is probably the first author that's come along that's really shed a light on banking and the Federal Reserve System and how we've wandered from constitutional values as far as our money. And so I started studying it, and somewhere along, I guess it was around 2006, 2005, I was watching C-SPAN, and I noticed this little wiry, wiry guy always arguing with Alan Greenspan. And, you know, his name was Ron something, Ron Paul. It sounded like he had two first names. And I just, I watched this guy for two or three years, and nobody ever heard of him. But he would be hanging in there and just chewing. Alan Greenspan ragging on him about the money supply and the fiat money and why aren't we backed by gold. And finally I thought, hey, you know, maybe I'll make a movie, a documentary on, on this whole thing, see if Mr. Griffin will give me the rights to his book. And so I called him up, and Ed was kind enough to do that. And I called up uh, Dr. Paul, and to my surprise, he uh, granted me an interview. I guess this was 2007, somewhere around then. So we, uh, we produced a film called uh, Fiat Empire. And shortly after the film was released, I'm sure it has nothing to do with the film, but Dr. Paul Rand for president, and all hell broke out. People were downloading the film at the rate of two or 3,000 uh, downloads a day and started um, hitting number one. It, it, it kept vying for number one position on, on, the, on Google uh, video. It kept vying with fire fart. <laughs> Remember that, Mark? <laughs> that was out. 
fire fart, you know, first that would be number one for a few days, and then Fiat Empire would knock it out, and it would be number one for a while. They were going back so and forth. So that's a little bit of background how how I got. Uh, yeah, the two of them, it just goes to show what the mentality of the public is. You know, half of them are in the fire fart, and the other want to know why the Federal Reserve is unconstitutional. Right. So we put that out, and uh, it was a total surprise that so many people were concerned about the banking and the fact that the Federal Reserve System is basically uh, failing to follow the uh, Constitution, specifically Article One, Section 8 and 10, which stipulates that no thing but gold or silver coin shall be money, and bills uh, of credit are not okay. A bill of credit is nothing more than a Federal Reserve note. So today we have a money system where the uh, federal government can print up as much as they want. They can inflate the money supply as much as they want. And this, of course, waters down all the money, dilutes our purchasing power. The dollar's lost 95 to 98% of the purchasing power since the Federal Reserve Glass Owen Act was uh, instated in 1913. That is an effective. Um Hidden so, tax. Um, That's an effective hidden tax, isn't it? That actually uh, uh, completely robs people of their savings, in effect. It is. Uh, people. A lot of people don't realize that when you when you continually print up money with no restraints, it's like a stock dilution. For those of you that are that own stock in companies, you know that if corporation is authorized to issue 20 million shares of stock, and then in the next uh, ensuing years, it starts to issue more and more stock, 30 million, 35 million. The existing stockholders' shares are diluted. Um, they're watered down. And the same thing is true with the money. I and mean, really, the money, in a way, is the stock of a nation. And when you have this elite group of uh, special interests have the special privilege of being able to print out money. This is the elite bankers that are known as the Federal Reserve System. And as we discussed in Fiat Empire, the Federal Reserve System is nothing more than a government-sanctioned banking cartel, quasi-private bank, uh, government-sanctioned banking cartel, no different than an OPEC or a banana cartel. And basically, they, these people, these elite New York bankers, have, have used the federal government. They've pounded them over the head and gotten them to basically legalize their Ponzi scheme. So we have here a special class of privileged entities, and nobody knows really who exactly are the owners of the banks that own the Federal Reserve System. But uh, these people are, have, since 1913, have little by little weaned us off the gold standard. And the founders wanted our money to be redeemable in gold and silver because they wanted citizens, if they felt the money was being diluted, to be able to return their paper and get their gold back out of the bank. It's another check and balance. And now this check and balance has been totally eroded away by this elite group of uh, banks and their, their propaganda machine, the, the mainstream corporate media. And so very few people realize they just know that they're on the treadmill. They know that they're running faster and faster. We now have to have two-income families just to keep up with the debt service on the house and the cars and the credit cards. This is just, it's just getting to a point where it's totally ridiculous.
And I think people happily are becoming aware of this. And Ron Paul was uh, probably one of the very few, if not the only people in the government, in the Congress, that had the courage to tell it exactly like it is. So we made a movie about it, put it out there, saw Fiat Empire, um, how the Federal Reserve violates the U.S. Constitution, and um, I guess people are still watching it to this day. It's, it's on the net, and you can see it by going to fiatempire.org. Or just go to Google or YouTube and just type in the word Fiat Empire. James, I'd like to congratulate you on that film because I think, so, it, is, um, I, I think it is one of the seminal films on the fiat monetary system and the Federal Reserve. And uh, uh, congratulations on making such a critical documentary. I think it is uh, really one of the best produced documentaries on that topic, and it is one of the more popular documentaries within the freedom movement uh, as far as people um, – uh, attempting to give information to other people about this particular topic, the, the immoral monetary system that we have uh, in this country through the central bank, the fraudulent central bank that we call the Federal Reserve System. So congratulations on such a seminal uh, film offering. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. Um, we did try to make Fiat Empire... Um, let me put it, we, we tried to we tried to have a, a moderate voice in there because you know this subject and, and a lot of the subjects are alarming, and you sometimes you scare away people to these important issues if you're too alarming. Uh, there was a film that was just released about a year prior. I actually had not seen it when I made Fiat Empire, but it was made by Aaron Russo. It was called um, uh, America: Freedom to Fascism, and this film. I was told was uh, a little alarming to some people. And so when we made Fiat Empire, I, I directed and wrote it, and it was produced by Bill Van Allen, who is uh, recently deceased, but he's an attorney, and he is um, uh, a conservative, I would say. I would say I'm, I'm more of a libertarian. But because of his influence and, and suggestions that, look, we want to try to reach the grassroots and you want to try to reach the broader middle class Public, you gotta you gotta somehow enter this, this subject on a on a um, a gradient. You can't just go in there and, and say throw around words like they're all crooks. So um, we, you know we we didn't say they were crooks in the narration, but certain people that we interviewed on the street said they were crooks. So we thought, well, you know, all we're we're just reporting, right? And this is what the public out there, some of the public out there, thinks that these people who run the Federal Reserve are crooks. So I guess it depends on how you define it. And, of course, they have everything defined. They have taken various words and bastardized them, like, for instance, the word inflation. If you ask anyone what the word inflation means, they're going to say, oh, inflation means prices going up. Right. Well, that's, that's not what the word means. The word means the money supply is being inflated. And so the, they've taken these words and they've twisted them. The word um, um, fiat money People wonder, you know, when I, when I said I just finished a film uh, called Fiat Ember, my, all my friends say, hey, I didn't know you were into cars. Uh, oh, boy. Because they, they <laughs> just didn't, no one really heard the word fiat. But the word fiat means by government decree. So that's where the word comes from. The fact is that the fiat money is money that the government has to force the citizens to use because it's basically worthless. 
They actually thought that only meant the car, huh? So, um, of course, fiat money. Yeah, a lot of people just had no idea what the word fiat meant in that respect, a government decree. So um, the word elastic currency is what we've learned in our economics classes. And I, when I was doing economics 101 in college, Paul A. Samuelson is the main guy that puts out the textbook, and this textbook calls it uh, elastic currency. And they make it, they make it seem like it's a good thing. Oh, the, the money supply is elastic. That means we can expand it when the products when the products go up, our productivity goes up, and we can decrease it when when productivity goes down. Well, I've got news for you. They very rarely do anything but expand the money supply. In fact, the money supply since 1900 has been expanded 1,850 percent, and wow. in the years prior to that, it actually uh, went down by a minus 34 percent. So. We're in an era, uh, the last 97 years, we're in a progressive era of, of endless fiat money, debt, and uh, expanded money. Uh, and I, I don't think there's any way we're going to get out of it. As long as they keep inflating that money supply, um, all, all the, the reason we're not going to be able to get out. All, all that is going to keep happening is the, the dollar, dollar's value is going to become more and more worthless. People's savings are going to be continued continuing to be robbed, and uh, their, their, their uh, work, the amount of work that they do will purchase less and less goods and services. That's right. But the reason we will never get out of this is because it's mathematically impossible to get out of it. We're undergoing what's called the impossible contract right now. And the reason it's called an impossible contract is because every time money comes into existence, debt had to come into existence. Right. In other words, the way our money supply is created is the government, when they need money, they basically print up T-bills, and they try to sell these T-bills to American citizens, and if they don't buy them, they try to sell them to foreigners, right. and often the foreigners will buy them, uh, like China and, and England and so on. But when the foreigners can't buy any more debt from the United States, government, they sell the T-bills to the Federal Reserve System. And what the Federal Reserve does is it buys these bills. But where does it get the Federal Reserve notes to buy the bills, the T-bills? Well, it goes in the back room and it prints them up, and then it takes the freshly printed Federal Reserve notes and hands them to the government, the Congress, and takes the T-bill and as it puts it on the shelf. So in essence, the Federal Reserve System is buying debt using paper money they print it up and that's it's it, of course i've oversimplified it this is done on a computer and then there's other ways of expanding money but every time a federal reserve note comes into existence a unit of principle had to come into existence principle is what you pay debt service on it's a loan and the problem is every time they actually create the federal reserve notes they create a new unit of principle and this principle has got to be serviced with debt service. Interest has to be paid on it. So I ask you, your, your listeners, where does the money for the interest payments come from? Well, that the money, money is never in circulation. Print it up, right? Because eventually, there's not going to be another. That money is not in circulation after a certain point. 
And so they have to print up more money to pay the interest on the previously printed up principal. And as you can see, this is a Ponzi scheme. This is basically, it's a never-ending Ponzi. They're continuing to print money so that they can service the debt on previously printed money. And that is known as the impossible contract, because that means in legal terms that it's impossible for the contract of value and, to and be we're running around in this scheme. We're running around in this scheme is, is based on like a hamster in a wheel. That's right. But the thing is, we don't know it because this Ponzi scheme is a 100-year scheme. It's a 100-year scheme. It takes 100 years before it, it, uh, it's realized. And by that time, it's what's known as an intergenerational Ponzi scheme. By the time the people get wise to it, well, they're dead and gone. And then their heirs, or their, their, their uh, offspring is, uh, is there to take care of the debt service. And they, they, they don't understand what's going on. They've been propagandized by the media. So this has been going on for 100 years. And basically, one of the reasons for this thing called globalization is they have to expand the Ponzi. Have you ever done a chain letter? I mean, anyone knows if you start a chain letter, you've got to keep the chain letter expanding, otherwise you're not going to get paid off. Well, the same thing with the money supply. They started in the United States, and now they have to expand it to the world. So basically, globalization is nothing more than an expansion of the 100-year-old Ponzi known as the Federal Reserve fiat money system, and they have to find borrowers all over the world. Now they've got the whole world embroiled in this debt uh, debt service problem, the whole thing's going to come crashing down. It's only a matter of when. And it's just a matter to see what kind of fallout will happen as a result of that. Think? You want to uh, talk about what your view well, of uh, the fallout is? Who I'm working with on a new document. Yeah, I was just going to say um, Edwin Vieira, who I'm work, who's producing our new film. Spoiler, how the Tea Party, uh, excuse me, spoiler, how a third political party could win, is a Harvard attorney. He's got four degrees from Harvard. Uh, he's got his legal degree, but most impressive is he's got his chemistry degree and, and a number of other degrees. And he wrote Pieces of Eight, and he is exploring this and what are the solutions to the problem. And the solutions to the problem are twofold. One, we have to get control of power of the purse, and we have to get control of power of the sword. And what that means, the power of the purse means that James, you dropped out there. Are you still with us? All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're having some technical difficulties. Bear with me, and I will get James back on the line. Hold on one moment. I apologize for that. Hey, James. Sorry, it looks like we dropped out there. But we have you back now, so just continue where you left off. Okay, I'm sorry. What was the last thing I, that you heard? You were talking about some solutions that uh, Edwin Vieira had come up with. Okay. Uh, Dr. Vieira 
feels, and I agree with him, that um, we have to instate a competing monetary system institution because when the paper system, the fiat paper system collapses, we should have a competing uh, system uh, in place. And this competing system can be done at the state level. Just like uh, the state of Nevada is basically um, revolting against the federal government for their uh, lack of uh, responsibility in connection with the uh, border, the states need to realize that the government in Washington printing up all this money is going to cause a problem eventually, and they need to um, likewise start issuing their own currency, which is backed and redeemable by gold and silver. And the Constitution fully gives them the authority to do this. And when the whole system crashes, we would then have states such as New Hampshire and, and Texas and maybe a few other Montana that could lead the way into reestablishing a, a system of exchange. So that's, that's the first most vital thing that, that has to happen. And citizens in their various states should start lobbying their legislatures. There have been people such as Bernard von Nauhaus who have tried to issue alternative uh, silver and, and, uh, and specie-backed currencies, paper currencies, but they have been shut down because they are individuals and they cannot stand up to the might and force of the central government. So it has to be done at the state level. The states have to, to claim their right to issue um, currency. And it doesn't have to be a bag of uh, or worms. The, um, the currency could be uniform uh, in shape and size, and it could be issued, and it would almost be seamlessly uh, issued. The only difference is instead of saying Federal Reserve note on it and it being issued by the uh, banksters in New York City, the Federal Reserve System, would be issued by the state governments. And if you didn't like the way they were handling you could just take the paper and return it to the banks and get your gold and silver back, exactly like the founders intended. So, um, I don't know. I don't like to be skeptical and negative, but it's kind of like sometimes you have to just wait to the house. The house is, you know, it's, sometimes it's easier to build a new house than it is to to repair the existing house. I don't think the, the uh, power elite that's running the Federal Reserve Ponzi are going to um, allow it to just go away peacefully. I saw, that you described, I saw that you described this process on your website as akin to getting a virus on your computer that is so bad that it has just infected all your files and it's just time to wipe it all out and uh, put a new operating system in there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when we get viruses on our computers, we can go into the INI and the, and the register, uh, the reg, registrar, excuse me, the registrar, of the register, excuse me, and uh, go through a harebrained, you know, trying to pull them out. And that works sometimes, but sometimes you just have to basically format the C drive and reload the operating system. And that may be what we have to do with the monetary system. And uh, I, I don't see it as a big problem. I don't see why we have to have a big war and, and have all kinds of things. The federal government melts down. The money system melts down. We stand up and say, okay, great. That operations, operating system has been removed from the system. And all we do is just reinstate the Constitution. Bang. We have it. It's sitting there. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. All we have to do is apply it.
And, you know, and then we can go out and we can find, round up all the people that uh, were involved and uh, try to rehabilitate or jail them. So that sounds like a that sounds like a start to me. I think we could take it a step even farther than that, and say that the new operating system that we need to really instill is one of a higher level of consciousness, so that things like this don't happen anymore. Well, you know, interestingly enough, that's the main concern. I was talking to Ed Griffin the other day about interviewing for our film Spoiler. Uh, which is going to explore why the Democrats and Republicans keep getting reelected, and if we had a new third party, what would prevent it from getting corrupt itself? Right. And uh, there, there are there are some smart minds that are looking at that very question mark. And uh, you know, humanity uh, does hobble along, but I do believe we have improved on this planet the last fifty thousand years, and we have ups and downs. But if you look at the graph of technology, it has been expanding at a double exponential curve since for the last 100 years. Moore's law has held true. And I'm optimistic that we're going to be able to solve these problems. I do think there's a nexus of consciousness that's happening, and we speak about that in Fiat Empire. Uh, Mr. Griffin mentions that, that there's going to be a convergence of, of people's awareness and consciousness and all, all the systems will start to basically just kind of fall into place. Um, we have to look at things from a more holistic point of view instead of this, this insanity of reductionism. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I think that there's some hope in that respect. I mean, we, we may have to uh, have see a few crashes, <laughs> crashes uh, prior to that, but I don't think that... Uh, I don't think they're going to be insurmountable. So like the power of the purse. Like you said, uh, it's about having some new systems ready, some new ways of doing things in general ready, so that when these old outmoded systems collapse, we have something uh, to go forward into the future with instead of people you know, uh, falling into fear mode and then just accepting whatever uh, possibly even worse system uh, would come along that the dominators would want to put in there while people are in fear. That's how they do it. They pose as the savior after creating the crises. That's exactly right. And we're going to explore this in minute detail in our new film, Spoiler, uh, How a Third Political Party Could Win. We're going to take a look at the philosophical underpinnings of the, the Zeitgeist. Uh, we maintain, I'm working with Nelson Holtberg on this film, and as I mentioned earlier, Edwin Vieira is producing. We maintain that it's the philosophers that ultimately get everybody in trouble. Um, we maintain that the philosophers basically lay out the viewpoint of what existence is. And they fight over this, and they argue over this, and have been doing so since Aristotle, Plato. We come on up through present, up towards present time. We go through Aquinas, we go to Kant, and we go through Rousseau and Marx, and we, we we see that there are certain philosophers and philosophical ideas that have somehow taken root as means, and they are basically leading us in the wrong direction. What it really comes down to is your viewpoint on whether you think uh, intelligence should be centralized or whether it should be distributed. And the reason I think it should be distributed is because if you centralize intelligence or centralize management or centralize government, 
such as a one world government or something like that, or some kind of a board running, board computer running everything. Basically, you're violating one of the primary tenets of the universe, and that's the tenet of redundancy. You look around the universe, everything's fecund, everything's redundant. Uh, if one system fails, there's other systems. And in fact, the human brain is so valuable, nature has produced six and a half a billion of them to be redundant, to make sure it will continue to exist. And that kind of distributed computing power is the way I believe the universe intends for things to run. So therefore, globalization is going to pack, it's, going to, it's not going to work. It's impossible for it to work because globalization is, is, fails to follow the universal tenet of redundancy. When you have a one-world government, you don't have any backup systems. When you have the whole planet tied together to a one-world government, what happens when that one-world government melts down? The whole thing melts down. So obviously a one-world government is a stupid idea until we colonize Mars and colonize various other uh, moons in the solar system and have multiple branches of humanity out there. Only then does it make any sense to have the planet Earth operating under one management system. So these idiots and morons that are running the planet, the elite, so-called elite, they basically don't have science on their side. So I, I would say people should just kind of ignore them. So um, I just, uh, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead, Mark. What I was going to say is you basically started uh, talking about the, the uh, opposing forces that are really uh, tearing the entire uh, structural, the, the, fa the fabric of this country apart in your next documentary film, which was called Original Intent. Uh, I was hoping that you might go into that a little bit uh, to talk about these two op seemingly oppositional forces that are really working toward that same globalist agenda. Well, when I started with original intent, the original intent comes from the idea of what is the original intent of the founders. We were trying to figure out what exactly the logline of the movie was. So this time this logline got written and rewritten about five times during the course of production, which was two and a half years, roughly. And the, the, end, the final title of the movie ended up being Original Intent, How the Democratic and Republican Parties Are Destroying the American Dream. And the reason we came up with this is because we originally started out by looking at just the right. And as I mentioned earlier, I basically could be described as a libertarian conservative, although I do have a lot of uh, liberal uh, tendencies, having worked in the movie industry and the arts. You can't just lump those people off and say they're all crazy. But I do believe in change. I do believe in a certain amount of progressivism. It just depends on how much. You know, do, do you tear up 90% of everything and, and go from there? And then, then, then you're like a raving liberal. You know, maybe you tear up 10% and you, you maintain the other 90% and steady as she goes, you know, what civilization has built, you only tear up a certain amount of it. So whether you're a conservator or liberal really depends upon what is the ratio of what you want to tear up versus keep. And so looking at these problems... I was working with people on this film that were very, very conservative, far to the right of me. So we started out the film yapping about just how uh, horrible the left is. Oh, these, these, these people on the left, they're, just, uh, they're, they're, the, they're the problem. They're, they're the problem all countries going down the drain. So 
So we focused on cultural Marxism, and uh, we went into the Frankfurt School, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean by cultural Marxism a little bit later, but uh, we're just focusing totally on the left. And then it dawned on me, you know, the, it can't be the left that's got all the problems. There's got to be problems on the right, too. So I then started research on basically the multinational corporation and the fact that our military is all over the planet and what, what are conservatives doing. And I came up with the idea that we've got corporate fascism on the right destroying the country, destroying the constitutional uh, approach to running this country, and we've got cultural Marxism on the left destroying the country. And basically what it seemed to come down to for me was we have cultural Marxism destroying the, our values so that corporate fascist activity can seep into power. And what I mean by that is this. If you are a cultural Marxist, that basically means that, you know, workers of the world James, all right, looks like we may have lost James for a second time. James, can you hear me? All right, let me try to reconnect with James. Hold on. James, it's Mark again. Sorry, uh, I don't know why it keeps dropping, but uh, we got you back on. So pick up again. You were talking about um, that um, corp, uh, cultural Marxism is, uh, you know, uh, degrading the values uh, from the, the left progressive side of the equation and therefore paving the way for uh, corporate fascism to come in uh, on the right wing. So uh, you want to pick up from there? Yes, that, that's, that's an excellent summary. The idea is that the baby boomers, of which I'm a part, so I criticize myself when I criticize the baby boomers, have basically been led down this uh, road of uh, cultural Marxism where they, they have been uh, the uh, values that we had from the last generation have virtually been destroyed. We have the destruction of the family unit as a primary goal, we have all these uh, erosions of moral, and, and we had, we had uh, all kinds of uh, things removed from the public school system, and the kids are indoctrinated into virtually having no values or, 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 or relative values. And so basically, we've destroyed the ethical and moral fiber that, that made the United States strong, that the founders had, and that the, uh, the country was built upon. Because... Only could you have a group of people like this that would allow these corporate fascists to do what they did. In other words, you have NAFTA comes along and basically guts out the whole middle class. These corporations take to this move out of the country because they want more profits. It's like they claim that they weren't making profits, but if you actually look at the record, when these various corporations, General Motors and GE and AT&T, moved out of the country, started 
offshoring all their operations, they were making some of the highest profits, if not the highest profits they ever had made. So the claim that they were overtaxed and, and, oh, the American worker was being paid too much and so on, it's just bogus. They wanted to move out for pure greed. They wanted to make more and more money. And so only could CEOs running these corporations, only could they do this um, if they were indoctrinated with this cultural Marxism. You know, a CEO that had traditional values wouldn't do that. Roger Smith, if he wasn't infiltrated by the cultural Marxist values, wouldn't have ripped out General Motors and left that whole town of Flint just die, just to make a little bit more profit. So basically the theme is, the idea we explore in the film is, cultural Marxists eroded the values and made it possible for the corporate fascism to taken over the right. So you have culpability coming from the right and the left. And I think that uh, one has to recognize that in order to get back to constitutional principle, because the extreme that the right has gone to and the extreme that the left has gone to are not the golden mean of the Constitution, which is a limited self-governing nation um, based on free enterprise capitalism. And that's where we are now today, folks. We're moving, drifting towards this totalitarian uh, government. It's way too large. It's expanding itself using endless fiat money. We're spending all this money on welfare and the warfare state. Uh, we've got 700 military bases in over 130 countries out there. So the right is spending money on the military-industrial complex. You have the left pissing away money into the entitlements, the, the new health care thing, the endless social programs, all justified by a misinterpretation of the general welfare clause in the Constitution. And we have to, as Ron Paul says, get back to the, to the past. We've lost our way. And so we explore this in, in uh, 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 the, the movie, which ended up being three hours and 30 minutes long. And I submitted the movie to Sundance, and what do you think they did? <laughs> said no go, too long, right? Well, they said no go too long. That was their excuse for rejecting it. But is that the reason they rejected it, folks? I'd like to hear what some of your call-ins uh, feel about that. Because I, I felt that, that that was the reason they rejected it because it, I basically dared to have uh, any kind of criticism of the left in right. the film. And not only that, it's breaking down this false left-right paradigm that people still stubbornly believe in in the political world and don't understand that these are simply two wings of the same bird that's flying to the same place, and it's all about total control. Ultimately, that is what these two seemingly polarized forces are all about. It's playing one hand off against the other. And this is a, uh, a form of what we have talked about on this show over the past many weeks of something called controlled opposition or what has been traditionally referred to as a dialectic. And we saw the example of Hegel's dialectic being playing two uh, polar forces off against each other to create an artificial synthesis of the two. So thesis meets antithesis to create synthesis. And that is what 
uh, this film does an excellent job of uh, really bringing to the attention of people who have any level of discernment and understanding how these forces work. And uh, you go even farther than that in your uh, two other films, which break down each one in turn, correct? Yeah, you have it exactly right, Mark. Um, they basically have us uh, in this uh, dichotomy, which is a false dichotomy, uh, the Democrats versus the Republicans, and they've limited the spectrum of speech down to acceptable issues that each one of these two sides of the spectrum are uh, allowed to discuss, and they basically just have the public sitting there watching a meaningless cockfight. And... Um, you know, I was thinking about this this morning when I woke up. I was thinking, you know, they're throwing around this word independent, right? Oh, what are you? Oh, I'm an independent. Something like 40% of Americans claim to be independents now, right. where something like 30% or so claim to be Democrats and Republicans. Um, okay, that's great. You're an independent, all right? So what does that mean? That means you're independent about whether you're going to flip over to the Democrats or back over to the, the Republicans. Well, that doesn't seem to me to be very independent. Uh, I think that, I think it'd be better to call these independents hypocrites, because unless they're just as independent to go to a third party, a brand new third party or one of the existing third parties, as they are to go flipping over the Democrats and flopping back over the Republicans, they're not independents at all. They're nothing but controlled, mind-controlled hypocrites. That's absolutely right. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, if you're going to be an independent then you have to be independently just as willing to adopt a third party as a Democrat or Republican party. And you know what, Mark? The reason we call the movie Spoiler is we want to hit these idiots right in the, right in the face with a two-by-four. Oh, it's a spoiler. Oh, everybody voted for Ross Perot, and then Bill Clinton got in. Well, so what? Did Bill Clinton do anything worthwhile? And when George Bush got in and the rest of them, did they do anything worthwhile? And so it's like to, to say that you're spoiling something so that one of the other ugly wings of the same bird can get into power is just insane. What really needs to so, be spoiled is their stubborn holding on to this, this fake oppositional paradigm that never has worked, doesn't work now, and isn't going to work for as long as they believe in it into the future. That's what needs to be spoiled, and that's why I like the title for this film, and uh, I, I want to check it out when it comes out. That's right. The Democrats and the Republicans are the spoilers. If anybody wants to hear the narration of this film, it is done. It is up on the Internet. Can I give the URL? Absolutely. It's, uh, the, the general uh, URL for the website is spoilerusa.org. SpoilerUSA.org, org, And if you go to that the URL, you can find the links to all the, to both a two-minute trailer. We have the complete narration script up there. It's 32 pages long. And we have the complete narration, which has been completed and done. It was recorded by Sam Chu, who is done. You may, you'll recognize his voice from Arts A&E, uh, CBS, NBC, ABC, and Warner Brothers shows. So the narration is done. And Nelson Holtberg and I put it together. It was inspired by his book, The Conservative Revolution, which you can get a copy of. This is a must-read book for anyone that's seriously looking into a third party. It's called The Conservative Revolution. You can get that at AFR.org. And so this has inspired this movie, and we are going to explore third parties 
We're trying to line up Ron Paul, Pappy Cannon. I'm trying to line up uh, uh, Ross Perot, but he's he's hesitant about going on. But I think I might be able to you know, talk him into it, uh, especially when we get rid of finished with Pappy Cannon and Ron Paul's interviews. We're also trying to get a number of other uh, uh, ex-presidential uh, third-party candidates, such as uh, uh, Chuck Baldwin. Um, we're trying to get um, um, David Koch. Uh, who ran as vice president in 1980 on the uh, Libertarian Party, and so uh, people are people are hesitant and leery about being in a in a film about third parties because they they basically have to get their head around the uh, the idea that the Democrats and the Republicans are going to continue to do the same thing. The Republicans are basically having to have to operate on the survival strategy of the Democrats, which is provide endless entitlements, favors, and pre- special privileges in order to stay in power. And so we basically have here a, a, a bastardization of, uh, of Auguste Comte running our, our, our country. And what I mean by that is Comte is the guy that came up with the word altruism. And Aquinas, uh, who was a good philosopher, um, he came up with the idea of altruism as something which is good, in other words, helping people. And there is nothing wrong with helping people. But the way Colt bastardized this term, he took it and made altruism into sacrifice. In other words, Americans have to sacrifice themselves to the board collective state. And that's where we're at now. And so the government plays on that by saying, oh, you know, give us more power, some more money, some more this, some more that, so that we can do more entitlements, more, you know, special privileges, more, more, <coughs> excuse me handouts for everybody so we can be altruistic. So what's happened is we live in an era where the term altruism has been bastardized and it's been used to justify the ever-expanding state. That's right. You can't coerce altruism. Um, Putting a gun to somebody's head to take away something that they have so that you can give it to another, uh, it doesn't make it right. It's still violence by whatever word you want to call it. That's exactly right. Uh, basically, what we have is the state is trying to supplant the family unit, the church, and the individual. The, the, the place where altruism should originate is the family unit, the individual, and the church, not the state. And so, you know, I have real left-wing friends, friends in California that are always screaming at me on the phone, and I mean screaming at me. And they're going on and on about my movies and how they suck and how could I possibly make a movie like that and you traitor and don't ever come back to California. We're going we're gonna, to you know, put you... And they're sitting there going, you know, this film, what are you going to do about the poor? What about the poor, the poor, the poor? And you know what? I really think that half of these people are screaming about the poor. They want government to take care of the poor because they don't want to take care of the poor. That's right. The whole, it's the whole thing. They're sitting there <laughs> yelling about the poor. They just want the government to take care of the poor. James, I'd, I'd, like, so, to chi- I'd like to chime in on that particular um, aspect that you just brought up. When people are, are putting out this cry, have the government forcibly take care of the poor by taking resources from other people in the country and redistributing uh, you know, those resources, it's, it's the same dynamic when I bring up to individuals about true 
education, moral education. And I ask people, whose responsibility is the true moral education of the young? And you'll, you'll be surprised. They will try to say anything except that it rests with the entire community and that they have that responsibility as well to properly morally educate the young. They want to point the finger at the state. They want to point the finger at just individual parents, but they never want to turn the finger and point it at themselves to say it's all of our collective moral responsibilities to be morally upright such to such an extent within ourselves that we can collectively, as individuals, each in turn, properly morally educate the young. People think that other people's uh, education, proper moral education, is not their part of their responsibility. And I would absolutely uh, put forth the proposition that that is not correct, that we do have the, the moral responsibility to not only morally educate ourselves, but then take that information and distribute that knowledge and morally educate the young in our communities as a whole. Right. You know, um, but, you know, um, I'm all for free enterprise as far as the schools. I mean, let's have a voucher system and let the best schools, the ones that are providing the best educations, compete with each other. I mean, you know, you have the government sitting there, you know, the government paying and funding all the schools. Right. I don't see how you're going to get a really broadband understanding of history. Um it's just going to be basically truncated history, truncated knowledge. So, um, you know, we really need to have some freak, some more competition in the school system. And these uh, these teachers and professors that have this tenure, you know, I guess tenure started out with a with a with a worthwhile purpose, but it's evolved into this thing where, you know, you can't fire even bad teachers now. And um, so I don't know. It just comes down to the nanny state, the state doing everything. I, I I believe the individual has to be made strong because the collective is made out of individuals. If you try to strengthen the collective, you will get nothing but cowled individuals that make up a Borg whole. Yes. If you try to strengthen the individual, you will then create by an emergent property a collective that is strong ipso facto. Absolutely. I totally concur with that. And that's what this is all about. This is all about the, the, the one true um, uh, war that is really going on is between individualism and collectivism. And I'm, I'm totally with you that this is all about knowing the self and strengthening the self such that you know, we can become better in, as individuals. And that's what makes the, the whole better or the collective better. Absolutely. We're in total agreement as far as that is concerned. Now, uh, it is the top of the second hour of the show. I want to re-give the call-in number. We don't have any callers waiting on the line, but if there's anybody out there that would like to talk to James Yeager, documentary filmmaker, maker of Fiat Empire, Original Intent, Corporate Fascism, Cultural Marxism, and the upcoming Spoiler, uh, here's the call-in number for this show. You can call into What on Earth is, Hap what on Earth is Happening at 724-444-7444. Once again, the call-in number. Let's get some questions going for James Yeager in this second hour. 724-444-7444. The call ID number for this show is 83515. Once again, the call ID number, 
3515. You'll have to punch that in after you call the call-in number. Our guest tonight, documentary filmmaker James Yeager. So, James, uh, we were uh, you know, talking about your documentaries that you've made so far. Uh, in the second hour, I wanted to shift over to a future uh, a project that you're working on currently that's going to be coming out in the future, and we could shift the topic of discussion also. You have a full-length feature film in the works called Tesla about the life of the great inventor and genius Nikola Tesla. Would you like to start to tell the audience a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I guess back in the 70s, I think it was the 70s, I came across a term called Tesla coil. And, of course, I pronounced it Telsa coil. I had no idea what a Telsa coil was. But it was in a book by, uh, called Psyche Discoveries Behind the Iron Curtain by Sheila Ostrander. And because the early part of my career I was a photographer, I was very interested in this element of Carilion photography, which is performed using a Tesla coil, a Telsa coil, as I, as I used to pronounce it back in those days. And I avidly read this book and wondered, you know, what is a Tesla coil? And, and years later, when I had moved to California, uh, I was in Santa Monica, and my technical director comes up to me, Paul Gibbons, and says, hey, there's going to be a Tesla movie showing at the Santa Monica Theater called The Secret of Nikola Tesla, and it's featuring and starring Orson Welles. And this is one of this is probably the last or one of the last films Orson Welles made before he passed away. So Paul and I went down to the Santa Monica Theater, and when we got there, the popcorn concession stand was filled with Tesla books. They must have had 30 or 40 Tesla books all over the place. And we avidly went in there and we watched the movie. And the movie basically chronicled... Um, Tesla's early life. About two-thirds of the movie were Tesla's early life. Then he got to New York City in 1884, and J.P. Morgan was uh, played by uh, Orson Welles, and he just did a spectacular job, really in his element. But the problem is, the movie ended just when it was starting to really get good. And so I was, I was very pleased with the movie, but also disappointed that it ended so soon. And when Paul and I were leaving the theater... We were both so enthused by this man, Tesla, that we each bought 10 or 15 books with the idea that we would swap them. And so for the next 10 years or so, um, Paul and I would be reading these Tesla books and uh, uh, swapping them back and forth. And then by that time, the Internet came online, so I was able to go on the Internet and, and get the additional data. And I just thought, well, you know, nobody's ever made a feature film of Tesla, and the only feature film that really did get made, uh, I, I, let me correct that, no one in the United States has ever made a feature film on Tesla. This film was a foreign film. Um, so it didn't even play in the United States except for this one showing uh, the, at the Santa Monica Theater. And I thought, well, a, a film on Tesla should be made, but I'm going to write a script and start the story in 1884 when he gets to New York City. So somewhere around... I guess around 2000, somewhere around 2000, I think I finished with the story. And the story of Tesla, after going through all these various materials and source materials and materials on the Internet, I realized that there were a lot of different versions of the time track of Tesla's life. 
And so I had to spend a lot of time putting things onto a contract and mapping them and then trying to create a story which would travel through 59 years of this man's life. Um, I ended up with a, a extended treatment around 2001 or 2000. And I was so excited about this because I put so much work into it that I thought, oh, my God, everyone in California is just going to be standing there in line waiting to, to, to give me a development deal. So I leapt on a plane and flew out to California, and I met with everybody I could think of out there. And they all said, no, we won't give you uh, a lousy 50000 or or 100000 or whatever to, to develop this into a screenplay. And so I had talked to people out there that really should have taken an interest in this, and I was disappointed. So I flew back home. And, in fact, I think I got home just before the Twin Towers were um, it was all it was Halloween. So um, I actually went in I went out in two thousand. Yeah, and then nine eleven came the next year. So at any rate, um, I wrote the script in about eighteen to twenty days after being a little bit uh disconcerted about um, um, the uh the uh reception I'd gotten in California. And the script just kind of output in 18 days. I don't know why all of a sudden it came out. It was almost like my brain was processing it for 15 years. But then I ended, I got a, it totally blew out my nervous system, and I ended up on my back for three and a half weeks with a sciatic nerve condition, and I couldn't move. So um, my science, my science friends tell me that it was because I was sitting for long periods of time intensively writing, but my mystical friends tell me. Tesla might have channeled into you and said, let's get this script done, James. And then after Tesla left, it just blew out my whole nervous system. So we're sitting with a 167-page screenplay right now, and the Tesla Society, the Tesla Science Foundation of Philadelphia has been kind enough to help me cross the T's and dot the I's and, and uh, under the offices of Nick Lonchar and various other people at the Tesla Society. I believe, Mark, you're a member of the Tesla Society. Yes, that's and, right. Uh, and I thank you for your input at the Tesla Story Conference the other day uh, as well. So we've actually, I've actually incorporated all the materials we discussed the other day. We had met with about 12 people, a number of people online, and we went through the script. And we, uh, as I said, crossed the T's, dotted the M's, added a few things with some really neat scenes. And the script is done. It's been updated. And, Mark, i got to send you a copy of it if you'd like. I do have a PDF file available. Absolutely. So we're at the point right now where we think we have a script which uh, tells the life of Tesla and tells it in an amusing way. And now we're on the long trail of financing it, which is a lot of fun. Do you want to know about that? <laughs> tell everybody about this because this is extremely important if this film is going to be made and reach a whole lot of people, which it needs to. Well, usually when I send scripts to Hollywood studios, and I've been in the business for about 35 years, so I know Hollywood studio heads, but it's by no other reason that, that, that they were assistants and PAs when I first met them, and now they've risen up the ranks. So um, I, I've gone to these various people, and I, I won't mention their names, but they're, they're heads of some of the major studios, Cream, Creamworks and various other places, Sony. And uh, 
Um, usually they just say, you know, oh, we hate the script, James. Get out of here. So I don't ever come back again as long as you live. No, well, I'm only kidding, but I, they did say that about a few scripts. But they all, they all said we liked the script. And in fact, a couple of them said, here's a list of directors that we think could carry this off. Because a bio-picture, such as the one we're contemplating, would be expensive. And a biopic needs to have a really solid director if the studio is going to risk that much money on the production. So I was given a list of directors, and we went after the list of directors. And to my surprise, almost all the directors on the list also liked the script. And uh, uh, we took it to one or two that are very major directors. Again, I don't want to mention their name because um, if, if they ever heard this broadcast, they probably wouldn't like the name bandied around. But I'll just give you a clue. One of them, one of the directors we took it to, directed The Gladiator. <laughs> Is that fair, uh, sure. Mark, to say that? I think that's and, fair. And said, you know, um, if you get the studio to set up the script, come back to us, and we will officially attach. Which means the director will give me a piece of paper that says he'll direct the project. But when I go to the director, the director, excuse me, when I go to the studio. The studio says to me, well, we, we love the script, James, but we can't, um, we can't uh, set it up unless you get a director to officially attach. So I'm, I'm stuck in the classic Catch-22. The director won't attach until the studio sets it up. The studio won't set it up until the director officially attaches. So I was really irritated about this for a long time. And I'll tell you, I have a contact sheet where I keep track of every call that was made. And this contact sheet, goes on for pages and pages and pages. And when I got caught in this Cash 22, I became kind of irritated about it. But then I began to realize that, well, these directors, they, they basically have two, three, four, or five projects in their queue, and they're already financed, and they're ready to go. And it's nothing personal. They just can't stop the whole production mill for some script that they happen to like that isn't funded. So the last time I talked to this particular director and, and so on, they said, well, when you call back and have money or have it set up. And what that basically means, according to my attorney, is you have to have a player pay deal. Um, in Hollywood, player pay simply means that just like when you're buying a house, you have to put a down payment on the house, earnest money or something like that, which tells the seller that you're, gonna, you're serious, you're going to buy it. Same thing with a director. You have to put down a certain percentage on their fee, their, their uh, budgeted fee, to 5 or 10%. And that will basically get them to you know, commit to the project for a limited period of time, maybe a month, two months, four months. It's all negotiable. So when you consider that the director that we want is going to cost $10 million to do the project, 10% of that's a million dollars. That means you have to put a million dollars down on the table to get them to give you an official attachment, which you can then take to the studio. And the studio, who said we like the script, they have the director that's on their list will theoretically then give you the budget for the full movie upon which you will then recoup your development money investors, the people that gave you the money to put up for the player pay. So the uh, people that put up the seed money to fund the pay or play deals will get recouped out of the production and finance production budget. And so this is theoretically the way it works. And thousands of movies have been made in this method. And so this is the journey that we're on right now. And um, what, see, people might ask the question, how does Tesla and the life of 
Nikola Tesla. How does this play into what we're talking about when we're talking about money in general or we're talking about control of people through finance? Well, energy, we, we've been talking about money as energy, and, and it's vice versa. It's interchangeable. Energy is money. Energy can be used as a control, and indeed, the, I've said it a million times on this show, and we'll say it a million more, the control of energy ultimately equates with the control of human beings. That's why Tesla would have put such a wrench in the plans of the elitists, the globalists, the banksters of the world, had he been successful in coming out with his free wireless uh, uh, transmission system for electricity, because it would, it would essentially free people from all of the constraints that they're under due to how they have to acquire their energy, how their energy needs are met through the production and distribution of energy as it is done in the modern world. If Tesla had succeeded, the world would have been radically transformed from the paradigm of energy that it is basically held under the yoke through now. And uh, how ironic would it be, James, if uh, through putting out a, a major uh, Hollywood, um, you know, backed movie about the life of Tesla, uh, if um, this comes back to bite these globalists um, uh, uh, who basically shut down Tesla's work, if if how, get, getting this movie made through the raising of their Federal Reserve notes ultimately brings their entire control system to. Uh, you know, uh, an end and crashing to an end because this movie will go a long way toward waking the public up to understanding how important the life of this one man was, what he tried to do in the service of humanity, and how important energy is when it comes to um, how we live and what basically the factors that basically control our lives. That's right. I'm skeptical as to whether the studios will finance this or whether they will allow the script to go out in the form it's in. Because in the script, I do try to treat J.P. Morgan, Westinghouse, and Edison fairly. I treat them as as businessmen that acted like you know any other businessman at the time would act. And but the thing is, you know, the the studios are multi are corporation conglomerates that probably borrow lots of money from J.P. Morgan banks to this day, and if we get a, a, an A-list director, we really have to have a director that's a Tesla freak, and the director's got to be adamant about uh, keeping these values that, that you just mentioned a second, a minute ago, in the film. The money is energy. Energy is money, and if they can't take any of this out, because, you know, theoretically, I could sign an A-list director if he was wobbly. The studio then acquires the literary property. And they could just rewrite the script. So I only have one chance to do it right. Because if I, if I, the minute I sign the literary property over to some other entity, then the only uh, input I can have on that is whatever might be in the contract that I have with that entity. So giving the turning this over to a major studio is, is kind of risky. And we're hoping that we'll be able to find an A-list director that really joins our team the Tesla Science Foundation and all the millions of Tesla fans out there and is willing to stand up to the studios and say, listen, this is the story. We're going to tell the real story of Tesla and we're not going to water it down from the establishment's point of view. And uh, if we can't find that situation with a major studio, then what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to back down to a lower budget or medium budget feature film 
which could be made for between 10 and $20 million. We're estimating a studio picture would cost about 60 to $80 million. So that would definitely need a major director and a uh, major studio-approved line producer as well as a completion bond. But if the studio put up the money in a production distribution room, they would, they would underwrite the completion bond. But if we got a negative pickup, we'd have to have a completion bond. And so you're in the whole chain of considerations. And if you can't get that done and, and get the movie made you want made, then your only other recourse is to do a lower-budget, independently financed film, maybe bring in five or ten investors that are Tesla aficionados uh, and have them each invest part of that. And under that circumstance, I'd be happy to direct the film because I know the script probably better than anyone having written it. And we're into a film which would be lower budget. We perhaps wouldn't have the big Hollywood production values and the big main director. But we could end up with a story that's more... We, let's put it this way, we would end up with a story that was more accurate to Tesla's life, and we would mitigate the risk that the studio will either just shelve the project. You know, they could buy the script. They could take us through the whole thing and just shelve the project. There's been a lot of Tesla scripts written, and I think it's kind of strange none of them get made into a movie. So, and I, you know, I also hear that one of the studios is planning on making a Tesla movie, and that's Warner Brothers. And uh, I talked to the head of the, uh, the president of production a number of times. <coughs> Excuse me. And she says, yes, James, we're going to make the movie. Yes, we're going to make the movie. So maybe they will make the movie. And that's great. I, I like Warner Brothers better than most of the other studios. But, you know, it's probably going to be an establishment uh, movie. And even if a major studio does make a Tesla movie, there's still plenty of room to make another Tesla movie, an independent one. You know, you heard what the powers that be said about Tesla. Now, here's the real story. You know, that might be the log line or something. Right. So, um, James, I, I wish you the best of luck in getting this project moving forward. I really hope it, it works out because this is something that uh, really needs to get into the mainstream consciousness of people. And I think that, sadly, you know, pe most people don't read much anymore. I think uh, making films is one of the better ways to infiltrate the consciousness of the masses. And I think that um, uh, this is something that could definitely do that. Now, I see we have a caller on the line. Would you like to go to uh, t take some calls and maybe hear uh, what uh, callers have to say or pick up some questions from them? Yes, that sounds great. Great. All right, so here we go. First caller tonight, caller from Southwest Ohio, you are on. What on earth is happening? Our guest tonight is James Yeager. What do you have for us this evening? Mark, it is Bob from Cincinnati. Hello from Cincinnati, Ohio to you and James Yeager. How you doing, Bob? Hey, Bob. Great to hear from you as always. It's a, it's a pleasure to call in. Uh, Mr. Yeager, thank you for coming on the program and putting out uh, your work, Fiat Empire, about the, the globalist, uh, occultist, uh, fascist state which has taken over this nation through the faux money system, which is nothing but, but as Mark has pointed out, a yoke around our ox's neck. Uh, we have to shake off this phony system. Uh, Mark very eloquently pointed out last week that even a man like Alan Greenspan, who, is, who, who uh, if you look into his biography, was the lover of Ayn Rand, who, another occultist who wrote the, the mammoth work uh, uh, Atlas Shrugged, which is a veiled or an unveiled 
uh, a work to fellow occultists of how the New World Order will unfurl. And uh, I myself, I'll be honest, I've only leafed through it. Uh, I, for those who have read it, I congratulate them, but I, I advise and encourage others who want to know how this New World Order is unfolding around us, read Atlas Shrugged. Uh, Mark, thank you for pointing out that Greenspan was and is an occultist. And, and as we dig deeper in this, as you already know, gentlemen, uh, it goes way beyond Republican, Democrat, left, right, conservative, Demo uh, uh, liberal. These are phony terms to get us to look to the circus, the, the gameplay, the duality play, the, the checkerboard floor, so to speak, plays out in front of our eyes while the real puppet masters continue to manipulate us. But I, I won't belabor it, but uh, 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 Mr. Yeager, uh, James, if I may call you, sir, uh, you are going to make a film of Nikola Tesla. I'm going to stand by uh, Mark again. Mark is the proponent of the 21st century for Nikola Tesla and his work. And I thank you again, Mark, for speaking about Tesla. He was just in Pittsburgh last weekend speaking about Tesla. And if I was just a little bit closer, Mark, I, I'd get out there and see these great works. I plan on being at your conference about mind control in April. I think it's going to be an excellent resource for people to get a grip on mind control. But, but to go back for just a moment... Uh, te Nikola Tesla and consciousness. Once again, these are the two pillars. I, I don't think uh, that, that we're going to understand it as much as, as we should, but these are the two pillars, like the two pillars of masonry, that the foundation of the awakening is going to be based on. Consciousness, awareness, becoming aware of the, of the monstrosity of the crime around us, and understanding who Tesla was, what his work was based on free energy, that energy is all around us. All we have to do is latch our machinery onto the natural resource that God has created. It, it does not come through the wires, ladies and gentlemen. It is all around us. The wires act as the mechanism by which it flows through, but the energy is all around us. We can just tap into it. But, Mark, you're, you're more skilled at this. But, Mr. Yeager, thanks for speaking about this. I wish you the best of luck on your film. And I think your last point of what you just said, who cares if the big studios don't? You know they'll table it. You know they'll gobble it up and table it, as they have done to other excellent filmmakers over the years. I say go ahead with the independent film, and we'll all pump it by word of mouth. This will be the seminal work of Nikola Tesla. Thank you guys for keeping our consciousness awake on these great topics. Good night, gentlemen. Bob, thanks so much. A pleasure to hear from you, as always. James, what do you have to say about what Bob just brought up? Well, thank you, Bob. For those of you that want to uh, stay in touch with the Tesla Project, we have put up a website. It's, uh, it's www.thepoetofelectricity.com. And the official name of the movie is Tesla, the Poet of Electricity. So you can get uh, the first uh, 100 pages of the screenplay at that website see some of the history, and get some of the reasons why we feel a Tesla project must be made. James, give, uh, that, website, give that website one more time to the listeners. The uh, website is uh, www.poetofelectricity, poetofelectricity.com. And Great. the uh, script is up there. And uh, if you read the first 100 pages and you want to read the rest of the script, just uh, contact me through the site and I'd be happy to send this full script out to you. So James, uh, let, let's uh, like segue from what Bob just brought up that um, this whole basic fake reality 
you know, that is perpetrated through this Ponzi scheme of the Federal Reserve, the fake fiat currency that people are attached to, uh, and also the controlling of the, uh, the, the limitation and, con- and control of the energy uh, that is basically all around us and is the, the, the gift of, of nature to humanity. Let, let's segue into talking about the kinds of consciousness that these two opposing worldviews uh, really generate. Like, if there's a controlled, limited uh, paradigm of scarcity, you know, controlled energy, energy that can run out, money that can run out, you know, not having enough, this whole paradigm of lack, lack and scarcity. Let's talk about the kind of consciousness that that foments in in the, the minds and the psyches of, of the people of the world versus what could be created if we only get out of that consciousness of scarcity and lack and realize there is enough, you know, we can all have what we need and then some, and nature can provide in her abundance if only we live in harmony with, you know, natural law principles and in harmony with the, the real work of nature itself. And as Bob uh, put it, hook into that, that uh, energy um, matrix and um, understand that it, it is something that comprises us and that we are a part of. Uh, can you speak to the, the kinds of consciousness that these two uh, diametrically opposed systems really create in people? Well, Bob is right on the money when he talks about the energy and, and everything he said. And the paradigm of lack, the paradigm of scarcity, basically sets up zero-sum games. And when you set up a zero-sum game, you almost guarantee conflict and war. Conflict and war is something which generates money for the power elite that basically dominates this planet. Here we live in what could be a virtually an infinite universe. There's, there's, uh, there's questions as to whether it's, it's, it is infinite or what kind of what infinite means. But for our practical purposes here on this planet, we have a universe of energy. The energy is all around us, and only can the only by by forcing through this paradigm of scarcity and lack can the power elite maintain the stratification of society, the stratification of civilization. And what that means is they're the top dogs and everybody else on the planet starves. Or you got the top ones, the middle class, and the lower class. The idea is that only by promulgating scarcity and lack of energy, of money, excuse me, of resources, can they maintain their, their power base. The fact that energy is flowing all over the universe, and yet we have these stupid wires that they put out that they can meter us over, is just totally absurd. And, of course, Tesla represents this. For many believe that Tesla discovered a way of, of extracting infinite amounts of energy out of the core of the Earth or from the ionosphere, and there's various other technologies such as cold fusion, which I have uh, reopened my investigation into after 10-year hiatus and believe that cold fusion is for real. And Tesla, for real, found out a way of extracting infinite amounts of energy from possibly zero-point energy or other sources that we haven't defined yet. So basically what it comes down to is money is energy, energy is money, the whole game on this planet is being played around this. Right now, the money is basically, instead of being backed by gold and silver, 
is backed by oil. So we've got the whole planet basically sitting there, half the planet sitting there saying, oh, we've hit peak oil, and the other half of them are saying, no, we haven't. But the idea is that I just don't know whether we've hit peak oil or not. We probably have, but we may have not if oil is uh, abiotic. But it all comes down to oil is the current energy, and the power elite is using this basically to keep themselves on top. The whole military-industrial complex runs on it. And anyone who comes along like Tesla with any alternative energy schemes or a cold fusion, they're basically um, they, they're, they're marginalized or worse. So um, I think a consciousness is awakening in people about this. And I think that the, uh, there are many roads to this consciousness. And eventually, it's just consciousness, I believe, creates reality. Um, I don't believe reality creates consciousness. And um, um, I think that uh, everybody's rising to the level where we will hit a critical mass and eventually people will just ignore the power elite. And uh, what you put your attention on, you get more of. So if everybody takes their attention off of them, they'll probably just dissolve into, into the ether. What the the and, kind uh, of people that really need to stop paying attention to them is the people that live in such fear that if they stop doing what these people are telling them to do, that uh, they won't uh, be able to live, that they won't have enough, that they won't be able to survive. Their whole um, control rests in keeping people in survival mode only, in if I don't do this, I will not be able to continue to, to survive. And that's one of the lowest forms of consciousness that you can be in is fear. That's all fear-based consciousness because it's thinking with the lowest part of the brain, which is the R-complex. We've talked about this uh, many weeks on this show about the physiology of the brain and how basically that if you stay rooted in a type of thinking that the brain will actually uh, degenerate into ways of thinking and behaving that is, are completely base and um, are not really conducive to uh, true betterment of anyone, let alone the self. So um, that is the consciousness that they absolutely, a controller absolutely needs to keep people in that fear mode and in that survival only instinctual mode of the base brain, the R-complex of the brain. And see, a, a, a world of abundance, a world of knowing that we have enough, of knowing that the resources that uh, nature provides will not run out on us because we're not basically uh, pillaging nature. We are working in harmony with nature uh, for what she already provides in great abundance. That That is the kind of consciousness that we need to get to and understand that um, uh, th that there is nothing to fear out of fear consciousness and into abundance based consciousness there is enough and there isn't anything to fear but if we continue on this track of accepting limitation and lack and thinking that there's not enough and thinking that we have to do these uh, things that these so-called elitists tell us that we have to do or we're not going to survive, then, you know, we're going we're gonna to reach a, a state where um, we're, we're going to see a catastrophe and a collapse and we're going to see things break down and degenerate. But, uh, again, it all hinges upon 
what we see as possible. The, the limits of the human imagination are basically boundless, and we have to see things in a different way. It's about a shift, a fundamental shift in the way we perceive reality, as you just brought up. Where the consciousness goes, the external reality will actually follow. That is actually how it works. That's right. So we have to start po postulating more positive futures. We have to start postulating that we can do it. We have to postulate that we can disconnect from the power elite's money, empire, their chains that they use as fiat money chains. Um, this is where they, this is the where they steal energy from us through through the hidden tax of inflation and by robbing us of our technology by continually inflating the money supply and taking the productivity of the world's citizens and basically doing nothing more but creating more and more fiat money to absorb that productivity for themselves. We need to disconnect, as we say at the end of Original Intent, we need to disconnect from the corporate fascists, we need to disconnect from multinationals that are basically outsourcing our manufacturing base for nothing but the profit motive. We need to disconnect from the cultural Marxists that are marching through the institutions and telling us that we can't be individuals, that we have to be a board collective. We need to disconnect from the media the control-owned, uh, dominated mainstream media that basically puts out the, uh, the line of the power elite and this hypnotic trance that it's got everybody into, turn off the television, start to get news from the Internet, alternate sources. You can go to, uh, we have put up a website called uh, yeagerresearch.org where we have uh, broadband news, which means we list all the news services in the world. And, yeah, I say read the establishment news. Uh, because you need to know what they're up to. Get a subscription to Foreign Affairs Magazine. Watch CNN and Fox News. But also get out there on the Internet. Listen to radio shows like this. Read books like Nelson Holtberg's book and Edwin Vieira's Pieces of Eight. And, and stay in touch with the whole spectrum of knowledge that the Internet has given us. And I think people are doing that. And consciousness is rising. And we're moving from a world which is based on zero-sum to a world which is based on non-zero sums where, where everybody can win by simply increasing the size of the pie rather than fighting over the smaller pie pieces. Definitely. So, ultimately, ultimately, when it comes down to it, we have to understand that we're all in the same situation together and stop seeing things as an us-versus-them dichotomy. And um, th this goes back to the fundamental idea of the people who are holding this system up they're holding it up by simply believing that this has to be the way that we do things, that there isn't any other alternative to it, and that simply isn't true. Again, we have to get out of this uh, fear-based thinking and into the knowing that the human imagination contains all the keys to all of these problems. We can solve all of these problems together for our future betterment if we develop the imagination and willpower to go forward and solve them because we know that basically we're all in this situation together. We are all one. And uh, as happens to one of us is essentially happening to all of us. So the, again, the people who are holding this system up have to s see that and understand there is a way out of this and there is a different way. And they don't have to listen to the old tired line of, 
there's no other way to do things. We have to continue the course. We have to continue doing things this way. Otherwise, there'll be an even bigger catastrophe and you won't survive. They're, they're keeping people's minds in that way of thinking through that level of fear, fear of not surviving. So, uh, James, I want to bring up some, one other thing and connect this with energy because there's a, a section in this document that I'm about to mention to my listeners. I don't believe I've ever mentioned it before on this show, but this is a document that was written in 1979. It's called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. I don't know if you've ever heard of this document. Are you familiar with it at all? Now, does it have anything to do with the, um, the ARPANET and the, uh, the electromagnetic? No, um, th- this, is ac- this is actually an internal memorandum that was sent from one, quote, elitist or occultist to another. And it, it is believed that this was done during the Bilderberg Group meeting and that this is sort of a primer for an individual that was new to the group. So now whether this is actually an authentic document or not remains to be seen. I happen to think it is because of the, the psychology within it, the mentality of the individual or group of individuals that is writing the document. Now people, whenever a document comes out like this, claim hoax or claim, quote, forgery, etc. But I think that's because the establishment and the mainstream want people to believe that there are no psychopathic people like this at high levels and positions of power. The critical thing, whether, whether you accept the fact that this is an actual internal elite memorandum or not, Uh, The critical thing in it is that there is a section in this document called energy. That's simply what the the section is called. And I would just like to read um, two short paragraphs from this and get your take on this, because this really goes down to the core and the heart of how energy is the main controlling factor that these, quote, elitists, and I love to even use that term, because they're not the elite. These are actually the lowest of humanity. These are actually people who are in the most degraded form of consciousness of all the people on the earth. Yes. So that people call them the elite. I say the quote elite, the people who think of themselves as the elite. The so-called elite, yeah. Right. So um, in this uh, memorandum, there is a section called energy, and here's how it starts. I won't read the whole section, just a couple paragraphs. This is from the document Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, the section called Energy. Quote, energy is recognized as the key to all activity on Earth. Natural science is the study of the sources and control of natural energy, and social science, theoretically expressed as economics, is the study of the sources and control of social energy. Both are bookkeeping systems, mathematics. Therefore, mathematics is the primary energy science, and the bookkeeper can be king if the public can be kept ignorant of the methodology of the bookkeeping. All science is merely a means to an end. That means is knowledge. The end is control. Beyond this remains only one issue. Who will be the beneficiary? 
So that's it. That's from the document Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. That's the subsection called Energy. And James, I'd like to get your take on that. Well, that makes a very good point. Um, when you have money in a limited system, basically the, the money is nothing more than a, than a, uh, a scorekeeping system. You know, uh, I have this, like, this many beans go there, this many beans go there. It's just, a, it's just basically a control mechanism using arithmetic to keep score of everything. I mean, if you were in a world where you had unlimited money, unlimited energy, thereby dropping that out of the equation and could basically create products, you would have an exponential expansion of uh, civilization. They talk about some of this in Zeitgeist, the trilogy Zeitgeist, and the, the idea that the, tro- that the profit motive basically resolves down to nothing more than a control motive. In an infinite universe, we should be able to break out of these chains. And basically, that's what dollar bills, that's what the whole idea of keeping this control mechanism of money for the purpose of profit center uh, into the psyche. And it's basically got the whole world chained down. So uh, we have to uh, open our minds to various uh, other views of reality. Even the power elite, I don't believe, are all evil. They're, they're, a lot of them are in fear themselves, and they are misguided by their very own propaganda. So um, your point about the elite, that they're not the elite of anything, that they're degraded beings, is very, is very appropriate. They're, they're so degraded that they can't see anything above the materialistic level of their, of their monetary existence. By the way, uh, 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 Mark, I've come across a number of movies that some of my friends around the country have sent me. I've got a list here of about five, five or eight movies. Can I recite them for you? Sure, absolutely. Movies that I would highly recommend people look at. Sure, go right ahead. I would like. Well, the um, I've come across a couple of movies. Uh, there as follows: There's a movie out there called Collapse, uh, which explores the oil situation and the uh, the motive for 9/11. There's a movie called Endgame, which was recently put out by Alex Jones, which explores the new world, world, world order. There's a movie called Fabled Enemies, which talks about who, who might have been motivated to uh, uh, perform false flag operations of 9-11, if indeed they were false flag operations. There's another one that substantiates the evidence for the possible false flag operations of 9-11 called Blueprint for Truth which is put out by a bunch of architectural firms looking at the, um, the basically the, 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 the debris. Then there's another one called Fall of the Republic, put out by Alex Jones, goes into the New World Order and the various control mechanisms. Then there's a couple that I've come across that are very interesting here, one called Global Warming and one called Great Global Warming Swindle. Um, these are basically, everybody seems to agree there's global warming, but there seems to be a big massive fight on whether it's caused by man or whether it's not. Yes, and I have I have basically taken one side of the issue and then another. I now am neutral on the issue. Um, I have I'm not taking an opinion on whether we are causing it or not because I have to. I'm still doing research on it. So um, then the last two movies there's one called Invisible Empire I recommend, and one called The Future of Food. So there's a couple of movies that I've come across that are real good ones. I'm not saying I endorse or agree with everything in these movies. But remember, as I said earlier, I think you need to pay attention to the mainstream and pay attention to the material that's on the Internet, what might be called the fringe, which uh, ironically the fringe 
often ends up being more correct than the mainstream. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think all of those movies are excellent uh, documentaries. I've actually seen all of those movies that you mentioned, and I think those are all great choices to bring to the attention of our listeners here on this show. Uh, it's about being eclectic about the sources of information that we take in. We have to uh, endeavor to see the big picture, to pull back and, and take in so much information that, that we have a wide variety of sources, and, and that's how we can become discerning about the information that we take in. We have to weigh it in the balance, so to speak. You know, we can't just believe the first thing that comes out of someone's mouth. We need to take that as a stepping point, and then do research on our own. And I think that's a great point that you bring up about, you know, you're still undecided on some issues because you're doing more research on your own. That is how one becomes discerning, and, and that's the process by which we, we go through to help us to acquire the ability to tell truth from falsehood. And ultimately, that's what this show is all about. And uh, to do that, we have to be eclectic about our sources of information. So it's critical to take in as much of a wide variety of information as possible from a wide variety of sources. Could I add this, uh, Mark, that's very important? In, in uh, spoiler, our new film, we're going to be exploring this. But we have, we have undergone an age of, of positivism. Um, a positivism was basically put forth by uh, Auguste Comte. Yes. And positivism basically is the idea that the scientific method and science is God, That's and everything right. else has no value to it. Now, I would like to disabuse people of that idea, because classically we've got three methods by which we can obtain knowledge, through intuition, through reason, and through experience. And basically we live in a society right now that basically says, oh, the only knowledge that you can have is the knowledge that comes through experience, knowledge that is gained through the scientific method, and so on. Now, I have no beef with the scientific method, and I do think that uh, men of reason uh, see the merit in the scientific method and, and falsifying statements and so on and so forth, but not to the exclusion of, of not failing to balance out your knowledge with intuition and with reason. And That's I think right. we live in a society right now that is, that is too prone to positivism. We've been affected by this, and we're not using intuition, our native knowingness and, uh, and underlying consciousness that's a part of our being. And we can't even put our finger on it sometimes as to where it comes from. But we have to balance out our acquisition of knowledge through experience with the acquisition of knowledge through reason and through intuition. And I think this has been lost in the last uh, 90, in the, in the, in the last uh, 100 years or so. James, I am so glad you brought that up. This is something that I've actually talked about on the show, about how we, are, we have moved into a world of left-brain-only imbalance, and we need to bring, exactly. bridge that gap back over to the right brain. And this is why so many people can't see the solutions and can't see a way out of this, because the imagination lies in that intuitive, right, sacred feminine part of the brain, of the right hem brain hemisphere. And until we open up all the possibilities that are contained within that hemisphere of the brain through balancing our brain and balancing our masculine and feminine natures with each other, what has been called in the mystical traditions the chemical wedding 
okay, or the opening of the third eye or the all-seeing eye that comes by balancing these two seemingly opposing uh, 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 principles or seemingly opposing functions of the left and right brain hemispheres. And uh, you cannot learn all there is to know about what's really going on, both either within you or around you in your environment through positivism alone. People should look up this, this notion. It's very critical to understand ideologically what positivism is and what it means. I really thank you for bringing this up and understanding that it is not the only methodology by which we can acquire knowledge. It absolutely is not. So, James, that is a brilliant point, and I think that listeners should follow through with that and research that on their own and understand how important and critical to uh, moving forward in, in human evolutionary development, the, uh, uh, the, the um, growing of our intuitive capacities really is and how important that is for the future of this species. That's right. And uh, I would, I would uh, go so far as to say that we basically, um, we basically have two, two methods, what we call inductive and deductive logic. Um, I would say that intuition is very valuable because intuition is really uh, inductive logic and reason is deductive logic. And what I mean by that is our brains take in all this data all day long, our whole lives and, and maybe even prior to this lifetime, and each data point, each data point of experience is a, is a data point that basically our brains then synthesize into a general awareness about reality. And we call that intuition. We know something by intuition. We have taken the, the specifics of the and generate and, and, and synthesize them into a generalization uh, of, of reality. And that is one very valid form of of knowledge, and we're in essence possibly simultaneously processing the environment and then coming up with a, a understanding of what happened through intuition. And that right now is being invalidated by the positivistic uh, civilization that we have been indoctrinated into. I believe that this is not by chance. I believe that Auguste Comte and Rousseau and Marx have been thrust upon us, and this positivism is a result of this indoctrination with these certain collectivist philosophies. And they are trying to get us to only use experience, the, i.e., the experience that they give us through their network, they give us through their massive propaganda machine, they give us through their public school systems, and use that as our only means of knowing. We cannot forget about intuition and reason. And reason is a deductive form of logic because basically, Reason, you take a look at, you take a, the general, the overall general uh, view of something, you come up with a theory or So and look for the specific points of data to substantiate that. So um, all I'm saying is we have to have uh, intuition, experience, and reason, just like the classical philosophers used to uh, uh, advise. That's right, and that, they call that the trivium method of uh, critical of thinking and learning. And uh, th that is a balanced, holistic approach, not using either the, the left brain only or the right brain only, but combining those two into a synthesis. And again, as I said, that is the true chemical wedding that will open up our true vision 
you know, the, the ability to truly realize, to make real that which is really taking place around us and to know how to move forward in it, to develop the knowing of how to move forward to make this a better place for one and all. And that happens through that, that level of balancing the left and right brain hemispheres together. And this is further corroboration with uh, some of the concepts and ideas that I've talked about on the show for the past many weeks. So, James, that's an absolutely critical point to bring up. And uh, I would encourage, again, our listeners to look more into these methodologies of thought and learning and understand that, that something like positivism is something that we really need to understand is completely limited. It, it cannot encompass the whole spectrum of learning and knowledge. And, uh, again, James, I thank you for bringing that up. So we have about maybe three or four minutes left in the program. I want to open the floor to you to wrap things up uh, and to talk about anything else that uh, you may want to bring up on the show, and then uh, we can take it out from there. So uh, do you have anything else that you'd like to bring up about what you're working on in the future, future projects, uh, or anything else that you want to say before we close out? Well, Mark, uh, I'm just focusing on spoiler at this time is in production. That's my documentary project at this time. We're going to be releasing Corporate Fascism in, uh, in December as soon as the Sundance uh, Film Festival finished rejecting it. Um, I can't uh, release it until they make their decision. Uh, and then we're, all f- we're focused on uh, the Tesla project. So the Tesla project is a feature project, which is a long-term thing. And uh, we're just kind of continuing to push it to the next step, but we're continuing to do the documentaries in, in the meantime. And uh, that's about it. Those two projects, corporate fascism, as I said, will be out sometime in January. It is just possible that Sundance might like this better than the other one, uh, and because it is basically um, taking a look at more or less the left side of the equation. So, um, thank you for having me on the show, and it was it was very interesting, and I'm glad I found somebody out there that that uh, is interested in positivism. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> kind of definitely. But we do go into that in great detail in Spoiler. And Spoiler is in part uh, based on a new book that Nelson Holbrook is preparing to be released called The Golden Mean. And I think this is going to be the, one of the most important uh, political philosophies books that, is, that has ever been written. And he's in process of getting that published now. James, I think it's critical to be aware of different ideologies that are out there. And, uh, you know, I, I read up on things like this all the time. And it's, it's basically what I do, and it's what we discuss on this show. So, James, I want to thank you for being a phenomenal guest here on What on Earth is Happening. I look forward to uh, working with you and collaborating with you in, in the future as part of the Tesla Science Foundation here in Philadelphia. And, uh, uh, again, I just can't thank you enough. This has been a great show, and uh, you're, you're welcome to come back on anytime to talk about future projects that you may have in the works. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. I had a wonderful time. You got it, James. James, you take care. You too, Mark. Bye-bye. Good night. James Yeager, ladies and gentlemen, a great guest here on What on Earth is Happening. Next week on the show, we will be wrapping up our analysis of the financial system as a methodology of mind control and control in general when we talk about taxation. 
and how that fraud works in this country. And we'll be getting deeper than that. We'll be going into what taxation really is at a core fundamental level. So that'll be right here next week on what on earth is happening. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to encourage you to check out my website at whatonearthishappening.com. I'm your host, Mark Passio. You've been listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on the Revolution Broadcasting Radio Network. I'll see you here same time next week, folks. Good night.